tonight and for the opportunity again to just look into your word and um, we pray that you would speak to us, that we would have understanding and that uh, we wouldn't just hear the things that you're saying, but that we would truly listen and that we'd apply them in our lives so that we can become a greater witness and example of you here in this lost, dying world, especially here it seems in these very last days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. LED lights are bright. Okay, so trials and tribulations. Well, like I say there at the beginning, it's that we all like to quote the promises of God, and that's good. But the promise we like are, you know, the ones God will never leave you nor forsake you. God has a plan for you. His plan is for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Um, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, things like that. Those are the ones you typically, the promises you hear or people like to quote. But the other promises, the ones that we don't hear so much, are the ones that we're going to look at tonight. And those are going to be the promises of trials and tribulation in our life. Um, definitely, uh, typically not the thing you're going to hear somebody teach on or preach on. And they're trying to build a church or grow a church. But it's sad that that isn't used for doing that because I think the church would be a lot stronger and a lot more prepared to face the world if they knew that trials and tribulation are going to be part of their walk in Jesus Christ in the world. Um, Steve Camp had a song and... uh, I wrote the lyrics down on another piece of paper. I didn't write them on this one. And it, it was... Uh, I'm trying to think, see if I can... That last, last song we sung sticking in my head so I can't get the lyrics to come to me. Um, oh, man. Can't think of it. Anyways, I'll, I'll, maybe it'll come, up, come to me later. Um, that last song Michael did is one of my favorites, so it's like just ringing in my head right now. Uh Anyways, basically the song that Steve Camp sings about is the fact that when he came to Christ, all he ever heard about was peace and love. He was told that this, that's actually how the song goes now that I said it. it. All I ever heard about was peace and love, and I was told that trouble could never touch a child of God. But when the trials came furiously, it nearly sucked the life out of me until I prayed, carry me through this world. And that's the song. That's what he talks about, how he's, he's praying that the Lord would carry him. And uh, that's through uh, Steve Camp's song, uh, album called Consider the Cost. And a lot of it is about the Pauline epistles. But that's, I, I'm reading a book right now by uh, Philip Keller. I don't know if you've ever heard, I know some of you guys have heard of him. Um, he does a book called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. If you've never read that book, I would encourage you to read that because it is an incredible book. Um, but the one I'm reading that he wrote, the one I'm reading right now, he wrote also in the 80s, and it's called Predators in Our Pulpits. And it's talking about uh, the movement that was going on in the 80s and is resurgent now. I'm um, starting to come again, talking about the very thing, that, that God wants us healthy, He wants us wealthy. I've talked about it as we've gone through these studies, that that's what a lot of the church uh, wants to, they want to teach it because that is appealing to people. It's appealing to know that you're never going to have to go through any hardships, that God wants you to be prosperous, driving very nice cars. Um, He wants you to have big, huge bank accounts. Uh, The only problem with that message that they preach is here in the United States or in the western part of the world, England, stuff like that, I guess it would maybe work. I don't know how it does over there because they don't really believe in God much anymore. But here in the United States... um, there's a lot of money. And so that kind of doctrine works because it grows their audience. Good example of it, turn on Sunday morning on TV and you'll see a guy named Joel Olstein who preaches in a stadium, basically. Um, there used to be uh, Robert Schuler. I think his son now has that church called the Crystal Cathedral. Um, there is a lot of huge, massive churches and that's the doctrine they preach. And the people gravitate to those churches because they don't teach this kind of stuff. They don't teach about sin. 
They leave, they leave that alone. It's all about feeling good, positive messages. Um, but the problem with it is that you face a world where that, that isn't reality. It might be their reality in the world they live in. It's almost like when you hear from the politicians that live in Washington, D.C. and all the great economy and all the great stuff that's going on because they live in their little bubble in D.C. They don't live out here in the real world where we do, where we have to struggle and we have to work to earn a living. We don't have taxpayers sending us a $150,000, $250,000 check every year, paying our salary to basically do nothing, pretty much. Um, so looking at the trials and tribulations that we're going to go through, okay, first of all, the word tribulation in the Hebrew is tasar, I guess is how you say it. And the word means narrow, a tight place. I don't understand, but it means a pebble or an opponent. I don't know the pebble part. I don't get that. I'm going to have to ask somebody smarter than me. I could have probably asked one of my friends. Becca's got an idea. A pebble in your shoe. We'll go with that. That sounds good because that is definitely a trial, especially if you're hiking. You get a pebble in your shoe and you're going to hike very long, stop and remove it because there ain't nothing worse than that pebble bugging you for three or four or five miles and then it becomes much worse than the pebble and you deal with it for weeks. Yeah, Michael would know being a Boy Scout. I know from search and rescue and all the hiking that I did in my days. I mean, but if you've just even gone a little distance with a rock in your shoe, it's a pain. So... We'll go with what Becca said. Okay, it's an opponent also. So that's an interesting perspective, that it's an opponent to you. In the Greek, the word tribulation is philipsis, and it means pressure. Trial, in the Hebrew, masah, is a testing or to test. And in the Greek, it's dokamai, which is to test. So basically, all these words talk about a testing that takes place in a narrow or a pressurized type situation. It's a test that we face and it brings pressure and it's it's a narrow place. So it's not it's not a something you can move to the other side and get away from. It's something that kind of traps you. You're kind of stuck in the middle of whatever this trial, this tribulation would be. And there is only one way out of it. And we, as we go through, we're going to see that there's a purpose for it. It's not just, you know, so God can have a little laugh at our expense. That's not his reason for it. But we'll start out with Jesus' words in John. What's the time? So I know what time I've got to try to finish. John 16, verse 33. Jesus speaking says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And the things that he's talking about was the hour that was coming when he would go to the death on the cross. And he says, I spoke these to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he's speaking so that we could have peace. And then he he says, right after, you're going to have peace. In this world, you'll have tribulation. It's like, wait a minute. How can the two go together? How can you have peace in the midst of the tribulation? It's it's like, it's almost like, seems like an oxymoron. After, especially looking at what we just saw, the definition of the word itself. A test, it's pressure. It's in a narrow spot. It's something you can't get away from. And as I go through it, I'm going to have peace. So it says... Not you might. Some of you are going to experience. There's a possibility. Jesus said you will have tribulation in the world. It will be there. It's promised. One of the promises that we don't want to hang on to. It's one that we don't really like. I shared a little bit before. Um, and you know, the, my family and the people that have been around my house for quite some time now know. Um, I've shared before that. When I was 20 years old and I was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and it was throughout my whole body and it was a definite trial that I was going to go through. And at the time, I was reading a book by C.H. Spurgeon, who was a writer, 
preacher back in the 1900s. And the book I was reading called 12 Sermons on Peace. That was the book I was reading at the time when I was diagnosed with malignant lymphoma. And to me, it felt like the Lord was saying, okay, you're reading about peace. Do you have peace? And I can honestly say, and you can talk to my wife, who was at that time my fiance, and she can tell you that the peace I had was an unbelievable peace. It was, un, uh, I mean, I don't know how I had it. My dad and my grandma both died of cancer. I was 20 years old and diagnosed with, still to this day, one of the worst cancers there is. And I had it. And I had total peace because I was now a Christian. I had been a Christian about a year. And I was like, no problem. I'm saved. I'm good. I got my ticket. And so I had no problem. Um, my peace was probably even a little better than my wife's, than fiance, and my mom's. And most of my family. I had an uncle that uh, he definitely was mad at God that I had cancer. Uh, to this day, he doesn't know the Lord. And today is in the hospital with pneumonia. Um, has been for the last few days. So I'm praying for him that maybe through his situation, um, God might deal with him. But it was... Uh, in that book, The Twelve Sermons on Peace, one of the things Spurgeon says is that peace, he described it as, and he said, this, that holy calm, that sweet repose, which none but he that feels it knows. And because you, you don't know that peace until you're in the midst of this trial, this pressure, the test that's going on. And you're like, it, it's not a big deal. It's like, Wow. It's, it's a crazy, I, I can't describe it unless you've been there. Like he said, it's a holy calm, a sweet repose, which none but he that feels it knows. You have to feel that pressure to know that peace. And it's something that God is trying to work into all of us. Is a peace, like Jesus said, that passes all understanding. How can you at 20 years old have the big C, right? The one that, that kills, man. And Hodgkin's lymphoma, like I said, to this day, still one of the worst cancers you can have. And have calm, have peace. Not worry about, I could be dead. You know, I told Patty, I said, you may not want to marry me because we're getting married in two months. I said, you may want to put off the wedding because I could be dead in two months. It was through my whole body already, the cancer. Um, I was in City of Hope. They were getting ready to do all the chemo and the bone marrow transplant and all that fun stuff. Um, But Patty decided to marry me anyways. I don't know if she'd still make that decision. No, I'm just kidding. I know she would, I think. Um, It's a promise, though. You will have. But he says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. So the peace isn't found anywhere other than in him. It's, It's not that hippie love, you know, commune kind of, you know, peace and love, all that kind of stuff. This is a different kind of peace. This is an amazing um, experience that God can give to you, that calm, that it's, it's an amazing thing that you can go through. And Jesus said, I told you so that you would have it. Be of good cheer, he says, because I overcame the world. So in him, because of his overcoming the world, he's letting us know no matter what the trial, no matter what the tribulation, I overcame, you can have peace and know that you will also overcome. In Him. We can't do it within ourselves. It's in Him. And back then, the chapter right before this in John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So we have persecution and hatred in the world, which is also one of the things that could be the trial or the tribulation that you face. That's what Jesus faced. He faced the hatred of the world and 
probably one of the things, I don't know, at least for me, um, I don't like it when people don't like me. It's a horrible thing. When, when people don't like you, and sometimes it's they don't even know you, and they don't like you, which makes it real tough. It's like, dude, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't think this. Sometimes they do, they do know you, and that's why they don't like you. Um, and that's even harder. <laughs> but when it's that way, then we got to do something about us, right? we got to change us. There's a reason they don't like us, and let's figure it out. But things happen that are out of our control and cause people to not like you or misunderstandings. Um, I'm not going to this goes online and all that stuff. Um, I just recently had that happen to me. I had a conversation with somebody. Somebody else overheard the conversation, felt that they, I was talking about them, and created some issues with me. Um, had to have a meeting, got a phone call, met with some people. They want to know what's going on because so-and-so thought that you were saying this. And I'm like, wait, 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 that's not even what happened. I had a conversation with a guy over here, and someone over here was sitting there. I wasn't even addressing this person, but that person went home and talked to somebody. I'm not even because I don't want to give any away other than those of you that already know the situation. They talked to somebody, and then that person called somebody else, and then they called me and said, we need to meet. And then we sat down, we talked, and I explained the whole situation. And like, oh, that's not at all what it sounded like it was. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was a misunderstanding of the whole thing. Of course... After I had that meeting, um, I just go, well, this week I'm teaching on trials and tribulation. And that is a trial. Because how do I react to somebody who misunderstood and now has bad feelings towards me for absolutely no reason? How am I going to deal with that? That's tough because like, I don't want someone to feel that way, especially because, um, and, and part of the reason that it really, um, the, the one people called me, because they go, you're a leader in the church and we want to make sure that we don't do anything. So they thought, are you doing something that's offending people in the church that are going to make them want to go away? And so I had explained myself and they went, oh, okay, well, that's not what's going on because that is never my heart. Um, I've done that before in the past and I, I, to this day I regret something I said to somebody at Calvary Chapel West Covina back in like 1984, 85. Hopefully they're back in church, but I know as of about 10 years after that, they still would not attend a church because of something I said. And that's a horrible feeling to know that you did that to somebody. Now, obviously, they're going to answer to God and God should show them. And that's why you guys, I, I, I say, don't ever put your trust in me because that's me. I, I'm going to fail you. I'm going to say the bad things. I'm going to say the things that are wrong and hurtful and everything else. Um, ask my kids, they'll tell you. I've done stupid stuff, but they still love me. And you guys understand I'm human because you know what? I may be sitting here you guys will fail me too. So there you go. So we'll, I'll forgive you, you forgive me, and we'll just move on. Grow in, the, in God's grace. So they hated Jesus. Because of that hatred, it may bring persecution, which is also a type of trial or tribulation. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let no one, none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter lets us know, he says, and, and this is in light of what we just read from what Jesus said. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Again, not that might, but it is going to try you. There will be a fiery trial. And that's not talking about, uh, you know, God's 
putting you the heat on you, the pressure. Maybe a pressure cooker, right? It's pressure cooker's heat, narrow place. If you know about pressure cookers, how they work. He says, don't think it's strange. It's trying you. We're going to see more about the trying and what it will do. But he says, don't think it's strange as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. You get to be tied and united to Jesus in his sufferings. So trials will sometimes help us relate to Jesus. None of us probably will go through all that he went through. We will go through some crazy hard stuff at times. You know, Tanner was talking about last night, was it, when he was talking about Peter himself, or maybe it was Sunday. I think it was Sunday. Peter himself, when he was crucified, history says that when they were going to crucify him, he said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord, so please crucify me upside down. Um, Tanner said something about his wife, and I, would he, I've never talked to him about that. I don't know where he got I've never heard that. I've never heard about Peter's wife anywhere. He was married, but the way she died, I, 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 want, I forgot to ask him where he got that. I'd never heard it before. So, um, And I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I just, I've never heard it, and I, I needed to ask him where it came from. But the trial, the fiery trial, remember one thing about fire, and we're going to see later, fire is a purification uh, means. When they make gold, and you get your gold, 14 carat, 24 carat, whatever, pure gold, gold, when it's purified, is purified by fire. An assayer or someone that is a works in the metal of silver, gold, whatever, and purifies that metal, they heat the gold. And as it's heated, the impurities come to the top and they scrape off the impurities. And it makes it more pure. Obviously, you take impurities out, it becomes more pure. And the more it stays in the fire and the hotter the fire, the more the impurities come out. And that's how you get the more precious gold. We've never seen true gold because apparently the stuff God's got is translucent or transparent. And to God, that's asphalt. It's concrete, right? We think it's some big old thing down here. Man, we got gold up there. God uses it for pavement. That's his streets. They're made of gold. And it's a see-through kind of gold. So pure gold, somehow, that's going to be crazy to see. But that's God's gold. But the, the thing that makes the gold pure is the fire. So the fiery trial, which is to try you, it's a purifying thing in your life. See, when we go through a trial and whatever our reaction would be to whatever that trial is, um, if it's, I don't know, somebody does something to you and so you just start cussing them out, you start doing whatever. I don't want to get into specifics. You guys know things that you do when you get really upset. And you just think, oh man, I can't believe I did what so-and-so made me do. It's like, no. God turned up the heat, and when he turned the heat up, the impurities started coming out. And when the impurities came out, you're supposed to be like the assayer, right? Well, we got to get rid of those impurities because we want it more pure. That's what he's saying here. That's what's going on here. So whatever it is that came out of you, they didn't cause that. They brought it out. And once you see, oh, that's what was in there, i got to do something with that. That's got to go. I can't have that. And you get rid of it. And then the next trial, the next fire, some more impurities come up. Ooh, we got to get rid of those. See, because we're looking for a pure life, right? Because we're supposed to be holy as He is holy. Be perfect as He is perfect. That's our goal. We'll never get there. But that's our goal. Perfection. That's what God wants. See, Jesus was perfect. And He wants it in us. But the only way we're going to have it is through the fiery trials. They will bring us that purity that he's looking for. So we're going to see. He's going to say, he's going to tell us, let the trial, let it have its perfect work. We'll get to that part too. But that's what Peter's talking, the fiery trial, which is to try you. Hebrews 11, in the faith chapter, 35 through 40, it says women, and this is speaking of uh, people overcoming by faith. He talks about Jericho falling Rahab, um, 
Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all these people and things they went through. And verse 35, it says, Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He's not saying here, the writer of Hebrews is not saying that they had a different salvation than we had. Their faith and the trials they went through, they were looking forward to the cross, to the Messiah to come. They didn't know how it was going to take place. Their faith was trusting that God was going to do something in the future that would bring them to the place of salvation. The reason we have something better is the cross already happened. Jesus died. We're on this side of the cross. We're looking back on it. They had to look forward, but they didn't know exactly what they were looking forward to. They knew there was something, but they didn't know what. We, on this side of the cross, we know what. And we look back on it and go, ah, that's what it was. So he says that we had something better, and the better was the fact that Jesus has died and resurrected. And he said, they all had obtained a good testimony through faith, but they didn't receive the promise. They died before the promise came. And that's where you see in Luke chapter 16 where, you talk, where it talks about Abraham's bosom, the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, that's not a parable. Because if you look at a parable, there's never a parable given where there's a personal name used in the parable. When it talks about Lazarus, that's a personal name. It talks about Abraham, Lazarus. It's a personal name. It's a, it's a story. It's not a parable. Okay, parables are used to either compare or contrast. That's all a parable is. So if you ever don't understand a parable, it's comparison or contrasting with something. That's why you see when he talks about the sower. We're going to look at that one. Sowing seed. It's a comparison. The farming people knew what he meant when he was talking about sowing seed because they did it all the time. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying there. I know. Oh, yeah, the birds come in. They pick the seed, right? Up here on the mountains, what is it? If you've been around very long, if you haven't lived up here, but up here, you plant bulbs, right? You put the bulbs in the ground, what happens? The next day, the squirrels are digging them up. Right? So if it was today and Jesus was talking, he would say, the word of God is like a bulb that you planted in the ground and the squirrels came and took it. Right? We'd go, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. We've watched that happen. Okay, so it was, it was a comparison. And a contrast would be where he would contrast, um, like he talks about the, the, the righteous judge and the woman for her much nagging of the judge. He finally gave in. Okay? It, it's... He, he contrasts the evil, wicked judge that finally gives in. And that's not what God is. God is not that way. You don't have to continue to nag God to get what you think he wants you to have. The wicked, right, unrighteous judge, the lady, if you know the story of the parable I'm talking about, he, she had to nag him and keep going back to him to get what she wanted. It was a contrast. It wasn't saying God is like that. You got to just keep bugging him and bugging him and bugging him so you can get what you want. He said, that's a contrast. God's not like that. Because He says later on, Jesus says, which of you being evil would not give your son the thing he asked for, but how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to those who ask of him. That's the contrast is you don't have to bug him. If it's something that he desires, if it's his will, he gives freely the contrast. So that's what parables do. So the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it isn't a parable. It's a story. He's telling you, it gives us insight into the eternal world. Before Jesus died, everybody sat in this place called Abraham's bosom and they waited. That's what he's talking about here. They waited. And that's why it also says that Jesus, when he had died, before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He went down to those in Ephesians. It talks about in Ephesians chapter four, it talks about he preached captivity to the captives. There were those people in Abraham's bosom and Jesus went down. Hey, I'm the one you were waiting for. It said, and then he led captivity, which were those in Abraham's bosom. And he led them captive. He led them to eternity in heaven with the Father. So that's what that's all talking about. It was just, I know that's a sidetrack from the trials and tribulation, but that way we can understand these people, 
obtaining the testimony through their faith, not having not received the promise, they went through the trials, they went through the tribulation, still looking forward. Sawn in two, they say that's Isaiah. He was cut in two. We know many of the Old Testament prophets stoned. They were killed so many different ways, having not received the promise, but they trusted that God was going to do something. They knew God, and they knew that He was faithful, like uh, Tanner was talking about last night. Joseph was the same way. He trusted God. Back to 1 Peter. We're bouncing all over the place here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So, put on the mind of Christ. Jesus suffered. You're going to suffer. It's a promise. Now, whether we suffer to the extent that some of the people we just read about in Hebrews, or maybe some other degree in our lives, uh, one way or another, we're going to have suffering. It's going to happen. Just like Tanner was talking about last night, having loved ones die, that's a hard, hard thing to deal with. And it was great what he was talking about last night. We were not made for that. God's original design to put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gave them... The choice, we talked about this before, the choice of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was also the tree of life. When they took the knowledge of the good and evil, he had to throw them out of the garden because he didn't want them to have the tree of life and live forever in their sin. Because look at what happened to this day. Look at the sin of our world. It is just, it is crazy what's going on. Just this week, we have a man that went out and shot another man because he said, because his girlfriend. Right? And then he kills himself. Then we had a guy go out and kill uh, four guys, white guys, because he hates white people. ISIS is claiming responsibility for that one too. And that first guy, before he killed that other, there was a black man killing a black man, which is funny, you don't hear much about that. If it was a white man killing a black man, that'd be everywhere, but the black man killing the black man. And before he died, if you looked at the AP, the AP said, he said, God is great before he killed him. But he didn't say that. He said, Allah Akbar, before he killed him. And there's a big difference when you say Allah Akbar and when you say God is great. It was a Muslim term. That's what he used. But the AP put it out as he said, God is great. Which is the translation of what he said. But we all know the difference in the two things being said. Oh, the Muslim. That's a Muslim... It's Allah Akbar is God is great, but it is it is part of the um, uh, the word for the for the war the spirit the I'm trying to think of the word now. It's a chant to their God. It's part of the the spiritual war that they're putting on the Muslims trying to take over the world. Come on, I can't think of it. Okay. They can't. Well, they believe in our Jesus. They do believe in our Jesus. This is going to be a little side sidetrack, but they do believe in our Jesus. But what they believe is our Jesus is a prophet, just like Muhammad was a prophet. In fact, around the Dome of the Rock, there's a bunch of writing around the Dome of the Rock, and part of that writing says God does not beget, neither is he begotten. So what they're saying is Jesus was not God, because God does not become a man, and God does not have a son. That's what that means. God does not beget, neither is he begotten. Um, yeah. And so the the war, Richard. Richard. He can't hear me. He doesn't have his headphones on. Allah is only a prophet. Um, if you want to know, uh, in four weeks, I will be teaching on the inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures, and I will be covering some of the Quran. And what some of what it says. Okay, thank you. So um, in in four weeks I'll start that study, and I will cover part of that in showing what they believe in God and what the Bible has to say about who God is and what all that. It, I, I cover all that. It's a two week study that one. So the sun God is part, but 
But um, yeah, it's all kind of. But they follow Muhammad, which was only a prophet, and I'll get into what they actually have about that. But basically, when they yell Allah Akbar, it is jihad. That's the word I was looking for. Jihad is a spiritual war where they think through war and death of the infidel, which is anybody that's not a Muslim, they will accomplish God's kingdom here on this planet. So when you when they yell Allah Akbar and then kill people, it's jihad. It's a it's a religious war against the infidel. Okay, so that guy that killed the other man, even though um, it was a, a, a man just picking up cans, recyclables, and he shot and killed him, and he posted it on Facebook as he did it. It was on Facebook for like three or four hours before they finally took it down. Um, it was a horrible thing. Our world, it's, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Our world is so prime for Jesus to return. They found that little girl today from Tennessee that was kidnapped by her teacher in Fresno. They found her today. And so he went to jail. Um, I am not a police officer because the guy probably wouldn't have made it to jail. I, I have a really hard time with anybody that would abuse children. I just, I've actually... I, I've I've seen people. I know people that have done some stuff, uh, not bad stuff like that, but they have the potential. I remember when my kids were little. There was a person, and I'm not even going to say because they don't even know to this day. And uh, I don't know if my wife does. I I may have told her, but there was a person, and uh, he just liked. To, he was good with kids, and he really was. But I knew his past, and his past was not being a child molester or anything like that. But he had a past that I didn't like. And he used to take the kids and have game nights and stuff. Now they know who I'm talking about. But I told him one time, I said, if you ever touch one of these old children, know for sure that I will kill you and I will go to prison, but you will never touch another person. And he knew I was serious and this guy was, he was a big dude. But he knew I would have killed him and he never messed with the kids. And that wasn't his heart, but I had to make sure he knew that he did not, because, you know, some of these predators, they, they think they can get away with it. But when they know Kevin's coming, and he's serious, right? And I am, and I would. And I'll do time if I know that I'll protect some child from never being molested. I'll do time for it. I hate our laws. These guys, I, I just turn them loose in population and let the prisons work it out. But um, I don't want to get into that part of the thing, because that's not part of this study. That would be my trial for sure. <laughs> Because I'd be sitting in prison. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13. Paul to the church of Corinth says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So no matter how hard your trial, your temptation, no matter no matter how bad it looks, like there is no way out of this. I'm in this thing and I don't know how I'm going to get out. This is crazy. God says, I make a way. Okay. You guys have heard the saying, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. If you're ever there, choose the rock. Okay. That's always the way of escape. Jesus is always the way out. Joseph, when he's in that house and Mrs. Potiphar is standing there without any clothes on trying to seduce him, he got up and ran. And he ran out of the house naked to get away from her. He comes up a little later. I mentioned him at the end. But tell me if that was a trial, a temptation, because look what happened after that in his life. And that wasn't the first thing that happened to him, but that was a part of his trial and temptation as God put him in the fire. God tested him. God wanted to know what purity was in him. Get rid of the junk and bring up the purity. And what a great example he was as to finding the way of escape. God has that way. Will you trust him with that? One of the first things I ever experienced was, as a Christian was um, because of a DUI I had. I was blowing off my classes, my alcohol school and all the stuff I was supposed to do. I finally decided to get it right with the Lord and start taking care of my alcohol school, 
start paying my fine. I was blowing it all off, and I didn't want to do any of it. I finally took care of it, started going to my class. I went three times. I had missed a bunch. You only were allowed to miss, I forget how many times, like four times. I had already missed three. I went to the class. I sat in the class one night. Uh, they asked us some questions about what we thought. I thought the class was a waste of time and told them I wasn't an alcoholic, and they all laughed at me and said, you'll admit one day, and I told them, no, I, I was. I was an alcoholic. I said, but I'm born again. And according to the Bible, I'm not what I used to be. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the guy was, okay, next guy. They didn't want to hear any more from me afterwards. Can I talk to you afterwards? And he, oh, you need to go AA. They think just like you do. And um, So anyways, the next week I go back to go to my alcohol school. Uh, they started the class a half hour before they normally did. It was normally at 7.30. They just started at 7. If you showed up at late, you didn't get in. I showed up at 7.15, thinking I was 15 minutes early. I was 15 minutes late. That was my last miss. Automatic six months in prison or jail, county jail for six months. Automatic. I went home. I was just like, God, I can't believe this. I, just, I'm, I was just the whole night. I was just like, Lord, I can't believe what is going on here. I'm trying to do the right thing. And now I, I'm going to go to jail for six months. And I was trying to do the right thing. I finally stepped up and started following you and doing the thing you wanted me to do. And I'm going to go to jail for it? I don't get it. What's going on? So I decided the next morning to go to court, went down to court, told the judge what happened. judge goes, ah, you're going to have to talk to the health commissioner. He's the one that makes the decisions on that. So I, he called the health commissioner up. He takes me back to his office. We go in, I'm going to do the same this really fast. Go to the health commissioner's office. He sits me down. I tell him my whole story. Only been there a few times. This is my fourth miss. Here's what I was trying to be early. I ended up late. They changed the time of the class, all that stuff. He's like, okay, well, uh, he goes, what was your name, Kohler? And he had all these, this whole wall was files. So he's got the case, and he's going down, and he opens the drawer, and he's thumbing through, and he pulls out my card, and he goes, it says here you completed the course. I'm like, dude, I just told you I've only been there three times. This is, I don't know how long I was supposed to go to the class. I don't remember. He goes, this paper right here says you completed the course, and I'm not going to question it. I never had to pay another dime. I never had to go to the alcohol school. Here I was in this trial, this pressure situation, this test. How was I going to handle it? Was I going to just go drink? I, I'm going to prison, going to jail anyways. I keep saying prison. It would have been just the same county jail for six months. Um, so I'm, I'm going, and I was going to see a judge tomorrow, so he could just take me right there. It'd be the last time anybody saw me for six months. Instead, I took it to prayer. I didn't know what else to do. I had no other option. God already had a different plan. He had used me the week before to share the gospel in front of all those other people, to share Jesus and what he could do for my life. And that was apparently all he wanted me to do. And once I did it, he was, okay, I don't need you here anymore. And it was great. The only thing was that it stayed on my record until I turned 25. And at that point, it went off my record. So it was great. I was 25. I was married. And my DUI went off my record the same, all at the same time. My insurance was like through the roof and it just went and hit the basement. It was great. God's plan. So the fire was there. The pressure was on. How you can handle it, Kevin? Because in the past, we go smoke a bowl, do some lines, drink some beer, whatever, and that'll make it all better. But not this time. No, this time I'm, I'm going to pray. The greatest thing about it, which I didn't talk about, there was a guy named Joe English. He was a drummer for Paul McCartney. He had an album out, and it was one of the first Christian albums I ever had. It was The, the title song was Power of Prayer. So after the health commissioner tells me I'm done, basically, with everything, I go out to my car in my Mustang. I start it up, the song that comes on, because I get the cassette in, right? The song that comes on is that song, Power of Prayer. So I shut the car off and just sat there and bawled. It's like, God, I can't believe you just did this. This is crazy. I was supposed to go to jail for six months, and you just forgave the whole thing. Amen. Amazing. But it was because I went to him. I didn't go back to what I used to do. I went to him. I'm like, no, that's, that's behind. I don't go there anymore. It's just to God now. To him. That's another thing that A.W. Tozer used to say. Uh Nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. That's it. That's the answer. You've got to go to him. Okay, we're going back to First Peter. We're in First Peter a lot. He has a lot to say about the trials and stuff going on. First Peter 1, 6-9. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if indeed be, you have been grieved by various trials. 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we see it there, what I was talking about, the gold. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The heat is turned up to prove your faith. That's the purpose. It's testing your faith for purification. He wants pure faith. So the fire is up. Things are getting hot. It's not fun, but it's for our benefit. He knows what's best for us. They're not fun. They're never fun. But it depends on what we do with them. Because you know what? You can reject the test and you'll take it again. It may be a different way, but you'll take it again. He'll keep giving it to you until you pass. And when you pass, he goes, good job. And then you, maybe a little break. Okay, we talk about the, the mountains and the valleys, right? So you get up on the mountaintop. I just made it through that trial. Oh, it's so good. It's great. But you know what? Right here in our mountains, you know, right here we're about, you know, just over 6,000 feet, a lot of trees and everything. Go up San Gregonio to 11,000 feet. Not many trees up there. It's almost kind of barren up there. There's not a lot of growth in the high places. But when you come down into the valleys, more growth there, right? That's the trials. We, we pass one. There's not a lot of growth when we're up here. But then we head to the next trial, down into the next valley. That's where the growth happens. We don't like it, but that's where it happens. The growth is in the lower parts. In the upper parts, it's barren. It's, it's a victory because we're at the top, but nothing's growing up there. That's why he doesn't keep us there. We're going to go back into the valley, get some work out of us, right? It's like a, a, they talk about how roses, if you've ever seen rose bushes, you don't plant a rose and just watch it grow for 25, 30 years. The first year, second year, you get some flowers, it looks good, it buds, and then it just starts looking ugly. So you get out there and you prune it up, and then the next year you've got beautiful roses again. The pruning process brings out the beauty. That's our lives. He prunes us, and it hurts. He's cutting things off, and we don't like it. But it brings the beauty. So that's why our lives are just like that. It's that trial so that we can test and He can show us the genuineness of our faith. And it should show us. It's not that God needs to know, because He knows everything. If there's anything He could learn, He's not God. Okay, Mike will be covering that next week. There's nothing that he's going to learn. He already knows it all. It's for our benefit. Like I said, that thing comes out, you didn't surprise God. He knew that was there, but you didn't know it was there. So he brings it out so you could see it. You go, oh, man, that's got to go. We've got to cut that off. We've got to bring some fire. Get rid of that thing. That's an impurity that's got to go. We've got to get rid of it. Mark chapter 4. 16 and 17. Jesus speaking about the sower. Again, I was talking about how the sower, he throws seed, right? So Jesus said that there's this one who the seed in verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. The seed that is thrown on on stony ground. Who... When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So he says, the stone, the, the, the word is out there. They Immediately they receive it. Okay, coming from Calvary Chapel, West Covina with Raul Reese, who, you know, like his brother said, he sneezes and a hundred people want to get saved. Okay, and I watched it week after week after week after week. But if all those people that went forward at Rawls Church were serious about their salvation, they couldn't build a building big enough to hold all the people that got saved at Rawls Church in the eight and a half years that I was there. Just the people that got saved around the same time I did 
many of them do not walk with the Lord today. Some of them do, and some of them, you know, we became really good friends. One of them happens to be the chaplain for the Lakers. And I hear from him at least once a year, Rick will call me. Hey, Kevin, what's happening? And we talk. We became really good friends. Um, but most of the people are this. They receive it with gladness, and they go away. All right? We, I, I think of Richard, who sat here just a month and a half ago and said, I want to accept Jesus. Three weeks later, he's thrown out of the program, back down the hill. He knows what he's doing. I pray that he'll remember what he learned when he was here. But he seems to be one where the seed was just thrown on the stony ground. The trials came, right? He's in this program. Things don't go quite the way you want them to. Human beings are involved, which creates turmoil. And how are you going to deal with it? God's going to use those things. That's fire, baby. Let's get some purification going. How do you want to deal with it? It happens all the time. I've got a trial in Hollywood right now that's driving me up a wall, a job. It's an inspector. He's my trial right now. But what am I going to do? I just got to do what I got to do. Make him happy. Um, James. James has a lot to say about uh, trials also. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials produce patience. Right? Like they say, God, give me patience and I want it right now. Okay? It doesn't work like that. Patience comes over time. You want to learn patience? Be a contractor. Deal with L.A. City uh, inspectors. This is my third time out there dealing with this inspector. That's a two-hour drive both ways. And instead of going through the job once and telling me everything he wanted fixed so I could go once and fix it all, this is my third trip out there. And each time it's something different that he finds wrong with what I've done. And it's not always a code violation. It's just something he didn't like. I want to go down there and just wring his neck. I'm like, dude, I don't care what you like. I'm supposed to adhere to codes, not to your decision of what you like or don't like. I, I was telling one guy today, it's like our, ju- our judges today. Judges are supposed to interpret law that's on the books. Our judges today, they make law. I don't like that law and I don't like what you're doing there so I think it should be like this. That's not their job. Their job is to enforce the laws on the book. That's all they're supposed to do. Interpret it and tell the people what it is. That's what they're supposed to do. That's not what happens. That's not our society. That's what this inspector's doing to me and I'm having a hard time. But I'll get through it. It's not the first time I've been doing this for 33 years. so I run into him every now and then. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So enduring temptation gives you a crown. All right? Go through the scriptures. Find the crowns. You want them all. Because one day, we'll be able to sit at the feet of Jesus and cast our crowns. It'll be a bummer to sit there and watch everybody else do it. Man, I wish I had one of those. Can I borrow your crown? I would just want to toss it a couple times. Can I? No crown sharing. You got to have your own. So let's get our own crowns. Let's work for them, right? If we endure temptation, we're going to get the crown of life. What an awesome thing. Whether it's a literal crown or not, we don't know all that. It's, But we want to get the crowns that he has to offer. Same chapter, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So God isn't the one tempting us. He may allow temptation, but he himself is not doing the tempting. He says we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own lust. So, 
the trials, the temptation, the fire, that's what it's getting out of us. I'm no longer tempted by drugs. Have not been for 33 years. I have no desire, zero desire for anything that I used to do. I am not tempted by alcohol. I'm not tempted by cigarettes. I have zero desire for that. I've let God work that in through me. The fire was there. The pressure was there. Fortunately for me with drugs, I did the one-step program, accepted Jesus Christ, and he took it all away. And it was that easy. Okay? Uh, a lot of it is, uh, I mean, I was that sick of my life. Okay? I hated my life and what I was doing. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't one of those weekend do the party thing. Okay? I was seven days a week. As, as long as I could stay awake, not usually 24 hours, but usually anywhere from 20 to, you know, 22 maybe, seven hours, I mean, 22 hours, seven days a week. It was all party. It was pedal to the metal. I was going. So I was sick of my life at 20 years old, which is amazing that at 20 years old, I was so tired of what I was doing. When I accepted Jesus Christ, I was all in. I wasn't playing games. I wasn't going to do anything that I used to do. I was all in. Now, there were times I stumbled. I learned from those things. Okay, i got to stay away from that situation. And I realized, if I stay away from those things, and all my friends and all those people, I'll have the ability to, to go on, go forward. And God did that. And He allowed me to go forward. And like I say, that was 33 years ago. Since I've been of legal drinking age, I've never bought and I've never drank alcohol. People are like, what? I'm like, yeah. I quit at 20 years old. I drank enough the time I was, between I was 12 and 20 that I was I couldn't handle it anymore. I was killing myself literally. I said I was never going to commit suicide. I would join the military before I ever committed suicide. I was killing myself with drugs and alcohol. I was committing suicide. I didn't know it though. Until somebody told me about Jesus and shined that light on me and I just went, oh man, i got to get out of this. And They told me, you can try Jesus. And I always thought, well... I'll give him a shot, and if it doesn't work, I can always go back to what I was. I didn't go back. Second Corinthians chapter one, and we're getting close. Verses three through seven. Paul says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God." For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will be partakers of the consolation." He's saying, we go through stuff, and with that stuff that we go through, we can use it to comfort other people. Okay? I have been able to minister people that have cancer because I had it. Okay? Now, you guys, if you've never had cancer, you can still share scripture with people that have cancer because there is promises here that they can have. But the effect you have and the effect I have might be a little different because you've never been through what they went through. I have. Things you go through. My dad died when I was nine years old. And uh, it was a horrible thing. It's like Tanner was talking about last night. I relate so much to what he was saying last night because of that. We weren't made for death. So when my dad died at 32 years old, I was nine. It was a horrible thing. That's, I know, a part of why I ended up the way I ended up was all a part of that. Decisions I made caused it. It wasn't what, again, it wasn't what my, what happened with my dad. It was decisions I made because of that situation. I made bad decisions, bad choices. Years later, I'm 36, 37, and God moves us up here on the mountain. My boys are all athletes, back as an athlete. They're doing softball, and the boys are all doing baseball. And I take a team up here through Rim Youth Sports League. Uh, Steven's team, I'm the manager of that team. Uh, First year was... It was great. We get here uh, right away. Nobody has even met me. And the rumors are going around about me. People want me fired from being my coach. And, oh, it was crazy. It was like, nobody had even met me yet, and they were trying to get rid of me. I don't even know what was going on. 
one of the main guys behind this thing, um, I won't say who he is anyways, uh, this guy, one of the main guys, after we sat down, we went through our thing, we butted heads, and he realized he couldn't get rid of me. He just figured, I'm going to suffer through it and let my son play under this guy. By the end of the season, he and the other parents that were opposing me for being a coach came up and apologized for what they did, realizing they had never really known me. Um, once they found out that I actually knew how to play the game, knew how to coach the game, they, they liked me. The next year, before the season starts, I find out that this guy in the off season, this guy that had started this whole thing, had brain cancer, committed suicide. So the next year, his son, who was on my team the year before, I know he's hurting. So I draft him. He's not a great ball player. I drafted him really high because I want to make sure he was on my team. He's on my team. We're playing a game one day. We're just playing baseball. He gets this great hit, triple or something like that. He gets done. He comes in the dugout. He scores. He comes in the dugout and he starts crying. So I'm like, Michael, what's going on? Because I miss my dad. I wish he could be here. He's a nine-year-old kid. I go, Michael, I was nine when my dad died. He looks at me. He goes, really? I go, yeah, I know exactly what you feel. It was all of a sudden, this thing that happened so long ago in my life, God was able to use it to minister to this one kid 30 years later, almost 30 years later, in a dugout at a baseball game where he realizes, I'm not the only one that's ever gone through this. The guy that's coaching my team has gone through the exact same thing. I don't think it was a coincidence that that happened. I didn't know how God was going to use me, but I knew I needed him on my team. That was the reason. He never, uh, and he still dealt with it because it's a hard thing. I mean, especially at that age, I can remember it took me so long to, to actually realize my dad was dead and never coming back. I kept thinking in my mind, he just, he got mad at this and he just went away. And one day I'm going to be walking down the street and I'm going to run into my dad. I hadn't seen him for probably a year and a half. And I know for a year for sure I hadn't seen him. Maybe longer than that. But And I kept thinking that he just went away and, and he will come back. It was so hard to, as especially as a little 9, 10-year-old boy, that the finality of death. But I was able to use that to minister to a 9-year-old boy. So with the cancer, all the things that we've gone through, our experiences, how many people I've been able to talk to about drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. Because as they and you guys that have been doing that, done it before, you boast about the great things you did and the drugs you took and how party and all that. and and you. But you know what it's really like. And I've confronted people on that. Yeah, you, you talk like you're having a great time, but I know what you really feel inside. And when you tell them what they feel, they don't like that because you're exposing the reality. They don't like that. God uses those things in our lives to to comfort others. Terrible tragedy or whatever it is, it's a trial that we face and he will use that somehow to comfort somebody else who's going through that. We just have to be willing to say, God, how do you want to use me in this situation? I know it's building me, it's growing me, but I know there's somebody else that's going to go through this and you're going to need to grow also. And maybe I can touch and help them. So that's what he's talking about here in Second Corinthians when he talks about this. In uh, Romans 8, 35-39, it talks about what's a separatist from the love of God. Tribulation happens to be one of those things that cannot separate us from the love of God. Okay, it doesn't say separating us from God, from the love. Um, the Second Corinthians, I mean Second Thessalonians, verses chapter one, verse three through seven. Um, God says that He will use tribulation. The people who cause tribulation in you, He will use that as tribulation against them. He will cause tribulation against them. We know at the end days that there will be a great tribulation matthew twenty four twenty one talks about that revelations three ten talks about the great tribulation that will come upon the whole world so we think we've gone through some crazy stuff i wrote down a few scriptures there you've got job job lost his whole family all his animals crazy stuff that he went through all with god's allowing god did not do it he allowed satan to do it to him Someone else you could think about if you want to try to relate to some of this tribulation. Joseph, we talked about him. Sold into slavery. Tempted by Mrs. Potiphar and thrown in prison wrongfully. Ended up, uh, you know, sold into slavery. And the, the whole thing that happened with Potiphar so that God could use him to become 
all that we just went through on Wednesday nights that Tanner finished last night. The governor in Egypt saving a whole nation. We have in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 8 through chapter 31, we have David and all the trials he went through with Saul to make him the man after God's own heart. It was all that stuff that made him. God saw it beforehand. But we can look through and we can say, David murdered, he committed adultery, right? But God saw the end. He saw the final product. He didn't see the process. I mean, he knew it was there. And that's comfort for us. Because, man, how could God love me the way he does? But we're in the process. He sees the final product. All we see is the process. And he doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen. Because if he would have told me all the stuff I was going to go through as a Christian, I would have just opted out for my drugs. It would have been a lot easier. I mean, it would have been worse, ultimately. But the, the stuff that you go through, if, if he told me that I was going to have to deal with cancer and all this, I'd be like, I don't even want it. I'll just continue my life the way it is. At least I know how to deal with this, right? So he, we go step by step, right? That's our walk in Jesus Christ. That's what we call it, a walk. Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. That's how we do it. One step at a time. We have Jeremiah. We, we can go through the whole Old Testament. We can see that. We can see Jesus. We can see all the apostles. Okay, the trial and the tribulation is a promise. So now that you know you're going to have it, what do you want to do with it? How are you going to handle it? How are you going to deal? God's got something to teach us. There's a purpose behind all of it. And we may not understand in this life. We may never get the answers in this life. So I always tell people, when you go through something hard... Don't go with what you don't know. Don't try to figure it out. Go with what you do know. I was talking with a guy Friday night. His daughter was killed two years ago. Paul's daughter. Like two years ago on Highway 330. Hit head on. It was of her own doing um, that she was killed um, by the what her dad told me. And Paul said, you know, it was tough. And... He wasn't sure. He thought maybe it was something he did that created the problem. And I told him, like I tell them all, I said, you know, you, you can't go with what you don't know. He doesn't know why God took her. I said, but you have to go with what you do know. And you do know God loves you. You know God loved your daughter. You know God has a purpose, a plan for good, for hope. He's got all that plan for you. That's what you hang on to through the hard times. What you know about God. And let the other stuff come out as, as he desires to let it come out. Maybe in this life we never know. The book of Job, I talked about Job. Job never found out why God did all that stuff. We never read that in the book of Job. He never tells him why. But Job continues to walk with the Lord. That's what we've got to do. Father, we just want to thank you for tonight. And through our trials, through the tribulations that we face, help us just to hang on to those things that we know about. To trust you and know that you're going to work it all out for our good and for the furtherance of your kingdom. So just help us to walk in that and just hang tight, hold on tight to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.